Right. I'm going to start that again because we're recording. We're going to look at two passages. Luke 11 and Matthew 6. And uh, we're going to look between the two of them. But essentially, the key to what we'll be looking at today is this phrase, Our Father who is in heaven. You find it in Matthew chapter 6 as part of a big sermon that Jesus preached. Famously called the Sermon on the Mount. Halfway through it, he starts to talk about prayer. And in our Bibles, it will say, Our Father in heaven. Um, In the King James Version, it would have been, Our Father who art in heaven. Many of us would have learnt the Lord's Prayer at schools um, in the King James Version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All these these and thous, poetic Shakespearean language. And in our modern translation, we've got our Father in heaven. You might notice in the Luke version, it says Father. It doesn't say our Father. But I want to hold on to this phrase. Let's start off with an introduction. Yes. We're starting a new series on prayer. Last year, for 2018, we looked at the subject of worship. And worship naturally moves on to prayer. Prayer is part of a bigger theme because our theme for 2019, moving from worship, is to the theme of partnership. And one of the areas of partnership is partnership together in prayer. And we're looking at this partnership in prayer over a bunch of weeks, essentially up to Easter and then beyond Easter. We'll even be looking, as we look at the cross and the resurrection, we'll be looking at that in terms of Jesus's prayers. So it's all going to be about prayer. We'll be looking at the wonderful privilege that we have to speak to God, to talk to him in the way that he wants us to talk to him. So as a starting point, let's have a little look at Matthew chapter 6 and then we'll move over to the Luke 11 in due course. Before Jesus says this prayer, he warns them about the danger of saying a prayer through just mumbled repetition. Thank you, Steve, for pointing that out. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, when we had the Luke reading, we find that John the Baptist had a prayer. And he taught his disciples how to speak to God, how to pray. And so the same disciples say, we've had John's prayer, we'd like your prayer. We'd like to know from you how to pray. And it wasn't an unusual thing at all for disciples of religious leaders to go to their leader and say, teach us how to talk to God. And that leader would say, come to me disciples, I'll explain to you how to talk to God. In fact, you get that in all religions, um, in Buddhism, you would have um, the Buddha bringing his disciples together and explaining ways of communicating and speaking. In Buddhism, there's not such thing as, as um, a, a, a personal God. There's an impersonal um, uh, force of God, godness that is in all things, including every person. And you reach a state of knowing and enlightenment where you become fully part of that, um, called nirvana. But the um, Buddhists would still hear from the Buddha about how to speak out. And in other religions, 
And in other forms of Judaism, they would have important leaders that would give them advice about how to pray. And Jesus, before he explains about how to pray, he says, he gives them a couple of warnings, which we will go through in a lot more detail in future weeks. But I just want to touch upon them. He warns them not to babble by repeating words over and over and over again. He says, when you pray, don't babble and go on like people of other religions do. This is verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. And then a bit before that, he talks about praying not to show off. Those people that pray publicly in the street corners to look really impressive. And in verse 6 he says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Now, those two things which we'll look at individually, one each week, we're just going to touch on now because it's important for us to understand that for 2,000 years people have taken the Lord's Prayer and done precisely what Jesus says, please don't do that. If you think about it. There's some irony that Jesus says, please don't repeat a bunch of words over and over again that you don't understand and think that's prayer. Let me give you the Lord's Prayer. And then every church you go into, they will repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over again, not thinking about what the words mean. Precisely what Jesus says, don't do. So his starting point is when you talk to God, it's not about saying words you don't understand. That's hugely important here because we're going to look at this Lord's Prayer and we're going to try and understand what the words mean because it matters. Otherwise, I would say to you, just memorise this prayer and when you say it, good things happen to you. This is not magic. This is not, as Steve said, a mantra. It's not an incantation to produce a magic result. It's not Wingardium Liviosa, or whatever it is in Harry Potter. It's not a phrase to produce magic. I had a look at some mantras and some incantations online. Mantras to help you. And I've got some examples that I found online. Breathe in and I send myself love. So what you do is you say to yourself, Breathe in and I send myself love. This is off the internet. And I started thinking to myself, where does my love go when I breathe out? And I started worrying about it. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, I've got to be careful with my... So it's a weird idea. The idea is to try and get people who are hyperventilating. There's, there's a positive side to this. It's an idea when people are hyperventilating, they're in a state of panic, just breathe in, relax, which will be better. But they're saying, breathe in and you're sending yourself love. Anyway, um, there are others such as, I think I found another one here somewhere. Um, everything I do will bring about positive energy. So you say, everything I do will bring about positive energy. And if you say that enough as a mantra, then because you believe it and you're thinking it, somehow it will definitely happen in the world. But of course we know that isn't true for everything. Possibly the most famous mantra in the universe is this mantra. You probably know it with me. This time next year, we'll be millionaires, Rodney. (laughs) 
not to the god Rodney, but to Delboy's brother in Only Fools and Horses. This time next year, we'll be millionaires, Rodney. Now, episode after episode, he would say that. But he never got to be a millionaire until that one episode. Do you remember the one episode where they became millionaires and they lost their money? And so the main idea of the programme was that they were always hoping, but never arriving. Always believing, but never really getting there. Because wishful thinking alone is never enough. And I want to tell you, and it's very good news, God doesn't want you to think that prayer is wishful thinking. And Jesus' prayer that we have a look looking at here today is not about a bunch of wishful thinking phrases. It's not this time next year I will be a millionaire or today I will have perfect health or today money is blessings are coming my way. That is not what this prayer is about. If you notice you will see that the prayer in Matthew is divided up and we start off with we are talking to God and then we are sta- saying three statements about God and his reign in heaven and on earth. So you see the statements. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And that is we are asking God's name to be made holy in this world and, res- and respected to be hallowed, to be set apart. His his name means his reputation. Again, all of this we'll be looking at in future weeks in more detail. And then we've got two more, that his kingdom will come. Now, in one sense, Jesus' kingdom does come in the lifetime of the disciples, but it continues to come up until the resurrection. So part of their prayer is already answered. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, this is a request for God's name and for his reputation and for his will. And then we've got three requests for ourselves. Give us today the food we need to forgive us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And for protection, don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. So... What we have here is we have requests. First, about God and his glory. Secondly, about us and our needs. What we don't have is positive affirmations or commands to God. We're not telling God what to do. So you'll notice that that isn't happening. And that's why it's not like an incantation. I was looking through positive affirmations on the internet as well. And there's a whole bunch of prayers that you can say for prosperity, for power, for health. And these are statements where you tell God rather than you ask God. And one of them was this. I give thanks to God this day in which my dream will flourish and all my plans will succeed. I read it to you again. I give thanks to God this day in which my dream will flourish and all my plans will succeed. That is very, very different from what we have here that Jesus is teaching us. He is teaching us to pray through requests to the God who is in control, not commanding him to give us unlimited blessings, not commanding him that our plans will come about our way 
for our wealth, for our success, for our fame, for our glory. Do you notice the difference? Compare with us praying for God's plans to happen God's way, for his success, for his glory. It's about God and our service towards him, not about his service towards us. We need to understand the shape of prayer the way God wants us to. And to see it as being us coming before the God who has all power. And as we pray to him, our mind is shaped by him. So that we learn to be able to follow his will better. As we bring our problems to him, our minds are shaped to understand the blessings that he's bringing to us. And to understand the relationship that we have with the God who wants to be called Father. It's very important for us that we understand how God wants us to communicate to him. Now if you think about it, all communication, every kind of communication, how do we ever learn to communicate? How do little babies learn to speak to us? Some of you are mums in this room. Some of you are grandmas. And you know that babies learn to speak because you give them a dictionary. No, that's not the way it works, is it? No. Babies learn to speak because you, sit, you speak to them and they learn by copying. And so all communication comes from copying. All communication comes through relationship. Not through a dictionary. And so here we have Jesus explaining to the disciples how God wants people to speak to him. And Jesus modelled the example time and time again. So they would know how to talk to their father. And the starting point is to understand God as our father. Let's have a look at that. First of all, the reason I wanted to go into Matthew as well as Luke is we've got the word our now, it doesn't mean we have to say our Father every time we, sp- we pray to God. Because do you notice what I'm saying here is that because this isn't a mantra, an incantation, they're not magic words. So it means that if we say different words from the Lord's Prayer, but we're still looking at the same ideas and the same headings, that's fine. Otherwise, when you find prayers in the New Testament, Paul writes some of his prayers into his letters. And they're not the same as the Lord's Prayer. They're not the same words. And you find there are examples of other prayers in the New Testament, such as Mary sings out a prayer to God. And there are prayers elsewhere. All of these prayers are different. And that's okay. Because what we're looking at here is headings. In the same way that the Ten Commandments were headings. And Moses preached sermons in the book of Deuteronomy explaining the Ten Commandments and the teaching of the law. And the, or everyone knew that when it says do not commit murder, punching somebody on the nose lots of times and then kicking them loads of times but they're still alive isn't okay. Because you can't say, oh well, you know, it wasn't murder so actually it was fine. And Committing adultery isn't about just the act, it's about the whole idea. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in this exact sermon where the Lord's Prayer is there, he explains to them, it's not just about 
what you do with a man or a woman, it's about what's going on in your mind. Because it's about the heart with God. In the same way, these are all headings that help us with our understanding about where we should be thinking and how we should be feeling when we should be praying. And our starting point is to see God as our Father. Our is important because we are looking at the idea of prayer as something that we do together. Partnership in prayer. Does it mean that we can only pray together? No. Do you notice earlier in the passage in Matthew, he says, when you pray, go privately into your room. So you're thinking, now I'm confused. Jesus is contradicting himself. He's saying, go privately somewhere to pray. And then later on he says, our Father. What does it mean? Does it mean we go privately, but we bring people with us? Can I ever pray by myself? Of course you can pray by yourself. Ultimately, the most important thing is that you are speaking to God because one day after you die, it will be you facing God. And your relationship with God is the most important relationship in the universe for you. There's no more important relationship. Not your children, not your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, not parents. No relationship is important as your relationship with the God that made you. And so ultimately, if in the silence we have nothing to say to God, and the only way we can ever talk to God is when we're with other people, then it's like any relationship. If you're in a relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and whenever you're alone with them, you have nothing to say to them, you do not have a relationship with them, do you? I'm sure that if you sat down with them and they said, said look, every time we're alone, you're silent. When we're with mates, you're chatting away and having a laugh, but every time we're alone, you say nothing to me. I don't think we're in a relationship. That would be true, wouldn't it? So it's the same thing with God. If we only pray when we're here together as a church family, but when you're alone, when you're sitting down in your room, when you're, on the, when you're maybe quietly sitting in the car, when you're lying in bed, if you have nothing to say to God, then you do not have a relationship with God other than a relationship of silence. The, the kind of relationship where you've talked to somebody, they've argued with you and they've said to you, don't talk to me again, I've cut you off of Facebook. I've defriended you. You're not part of my life anymore. That closed door relationship with God. No. If you're a believer in the God of the Bible today and you have nothing to say to him, then you need to start a relationship with him. And that comes about through knowing the Jesus of this Lord's Prayer. And he will guide you into a relationship with him. But it does say in Matthew, our Father... Because God wants us to pray together. Jesus says, when two or more gather together, I will be with you when they're gathered together in my name. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, the disciples, after Jesus had gone up to heaven, they worshipped. And then after that, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. That is people praying together, isn't it, in groups. That is when we come together as a church praying. Do you see how the the, the people wanted to come together? They wanted to meet together and most of all they wanted to meet together to pray. Even more than having breakfast or having a meal, even more than chatting, even more than opening the Bible up, they wanted to come together constantly united in prayer. 
Strong words, those, aren't they? Constantly, that means all the time. United, that means of the same mind, the same heart, (coughs) in prayer. You might think, what an absolute waste of time. Here are these people that have this fantastic good news about Jesus Christ, that somebody was dead and came back to life is big news enough. But that God himself had come to speak to the world of a news of forgiveness and peace, but also news of judgment, that people needed forgiveness because God would judge them for the things they'd done. But there was this wonderful rescue that Jesus' death wasn't a waste of time, that he died to be a sacrifice so people like you and me can be forgiven. And he proved that this was true by rising from the dead. This is wonderful news. It's such wonderful news. They called it good news. That's what gospel means. The good news. The best news. Now, if you've got a mouth, surely the thing you want to say is tell people this fantastic news. And here we have these guys. And what do they want to use their mouths for? Constantly united, not in telling people, constantly united in coming together and praying to God. You'd think that's a waste of time. You'd think, surely you've got to turn around, guys, and get out there. But what's interesting is that the very beginning, they see the most important thing is stopping coming together and speaking up to God. And that's where it all starts. We can't go out there and tell people any good news if we can't first come together and look up and speak to God. Because God, his news, will be spread his way with his power. They realised that God had a plan for his message to be spread and they needed to get with his plan, not get out there and do their own thing. Our Father. And it's not just our boss or our king, or our ruler, or our God, or our creator. It's our Father. Is that for everybody in the universe? Is every human being children of God? Well, in one sense, Paul says that we're all God's offspring. He's talking to the people in Athens, and he says, all of you are like God's offspring. All of you can know God, he's explained to them. God, that you think is a mystery, I can explain him to you. But there's a special sense. There's a special sense that someone can be the child of God. We go to John chapter 1 verse 12. It's explained very clearly to us in John's good news. John's gospel biography of the life of Jesus. And he starts with this because it's so, so important. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says these words. This is on the back of the tragedy of verse 11. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I'll read that again. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. You might have heard in churches this idea about being born again. Sounds like a crazy person. I'm a born again Christian. Well, in the Bible, it talks that anybody who accepts the teachings of Jesus and believes them, accepting God, Jesus into their life, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, they become reborn, verse 13, born again. They need to be. 
In John chapter 3, we find this. John's teased us with this. He said being born again. Because in chapter 3, Jesus himself talks about needing to be born again. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 3 in chapter 3, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Because our heart is broken. Our heart cannot follow God. And we don't need to be a little bit better. We don't need to follow a few more rules. We don't need to find a new religion. We need a new heart from God. And only God can give us this new heart. We are reborn with a new heart. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God himself. Spiritual children of God. John, when he writes a letter, he well remembers the teachings of Jesus about being born again. And in chapter 3 of 1 John, that's the first letter of John. In chapter 3 we have these words at the very beginning. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognise that we're God's children because they don't know him. Do you notice that phrase? And that is what we are. He's hammering that home. He's doing an exclamation mark. They didn't have exclamation marks in Greek times. So in, in um, the, the, this form of Greek, they wouldn't be able to have an exclamation mark. They didn't have punctuation. Didn't even have spaces between words. Wow. Imagine reading that. But here, his way of using the punctuation is to say, look at that. And that is what we are. See how much our Father loves us. He calls us his children. And what are we? His children, if we believe what Jesus has said and we accept him as our saviour, our rescuer and as our Lord. Elsewhere in the Bible we're told that we need to follow Jesus as our Lord and saviour. Do you believe that he is the Lord? Do you believe that he's the saviour, the rescuer? The name Jesus means rescuer. But all to, to all who believed him, accepted him, he gave him the right to become the children of God. Our Father. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. Our Father. Do you see that? So the starting point is to understand that we are his children if we follow him. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ today, in one sense he is not your Father. Until you believe and accept this Jesus... He is not your father. Because Jesus has a father and it's God. And all who follow him share in that wonderful relationship with having God as father. What kind of father is he though? What kind of father is he? Well, we're going to conclude with a thought about the kind of father he is and the kind of location where he lives. So he's a good father. Now, some of us may have had terrible fathers I don't know. Some of us may have had absent fathers. So if I said to you, our father, you might think, that's the guy that comes once a year. And not even on my birthday. 
Or it might be, our father, oh, that's the guy that shouts at me a lot. And always said I was going to be a failure. The kind of father God is, is a generous father. A kind father. A loving father. A wise father. A brave father. A patient father. All of these things are laid out clearly in the Bible. If you look at Luke chapter 11, we've just got one example of it. As Jesus talks about the prayer that he wants these disciples to pray, he then reminds them a little bit about what it is to, to have a loving father. Luke chapter 11. Verse 11 it says, Luke 11 verse 11. You fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here we've got an understanding that when he says you sinful people, he's saying you guys who make mistakes, who aren't perfect... He's saying, if you human beings who aren't the best, most perfect dads in the world, because no dad is perfect and we all make mistakes, no mum is perfect, no parent is perfect. We all make mistakes and, and every parent who's honest will admit that. This year we're looking quite a lot at parenting. We're doing a whole lot of stuff on parenting. And we know that parenting is not easy. It's very, very tough. And every parent makes mistakes at some point or other. And he's saying, even though you guys make mistakes. The word sinful there is to miss the mark. To miss the mark of perfection. You know, you're firing an arrow and you keep missing the the target. And as parents, sometimes we miss the target. We know what we want to be like, but we're not quite like that. Stuff gets in the way. Stresses get in the way. We shout at the children. We're angry with ourselves. We take it out on them. We lose patience. We make the wrong decisions. We give wrong advice. We give wrong example and they copy us and they say, where do you get that word from? My goodness me, don't use that word again. Mummy, you said it yesterday. Daddy, you said it. We give the worst example sometimes. We teach them bad practices as well as good practices. But if as people who miss the mark, as in sinful people, we actually know that even though we might, not, we might get it wrong quite a bit of times, we're not going to give them poison to eat. We're going to give them food that that we know is going to be healthy for them. There are very few fathers in this world that would deliberately give their children poison. He's saying, don't you think that God, who is so much wiser than us, who doesn't miss the mark, who always gets it right, don't you think that he will always give you just what you need? If you guys are capable of giving decent food to your children while missing the mark... Your heavenly father is not going to get it wrong when it comes to giving you what you need. He is a good father. He is a wise father. He gives us the right things at the right time. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And you notice the best gift that God can give us is himself. That's what the Holy Spirit is, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of God within us. Do you remember what I said to you about a new heart? Nothing better to get than a new heart, better than a new TV, better than a new car, 
What's the thing that you wanted for Christmas? Well, I'll tell you, whatever it was, a new heart was better. There's nothing that you could get for Christmas next year that will be as good as a new heart. Nothing that you can hope for as good as a new heart. And it's the Holy Spirit within you that gives you that new heart. And so what we're saying here is that you're thinking, no, I don't agree with this. You're saying to me that God, he gives better than my father. Well, my father gave me a really nice flat screen television. And God gave me a miserable year with sicknesses and stresses at work and loss of money. I know which one's a better father. My father gave me the flat screen TV. Well, we're missing the point here. God is saying that the best gifts that he can give us is not the money that he does give us and the health that he does give us that we don't notice, that we're not grateful for. But it's the gift of his spirit within us, transforming us from within. Because I tell you, there is physically unhealthy, and that's very miserable. Horrible to be sick. Mentally unwell, and that's very miserable. Oh, it's terrible to be mentally unwell because you feel so alone, you can feel depression, you can even feel suicidal. But the worst kind of sickness is spiritually unwell. Where you don't just feel alone in this world, but you feel alone up in it towards heaven as well. Where you feel the door of heaven is closed to you. And you don't know the love that God can give to you. That you don't know the joy and the peace that comes from his spirit. That's the worst of all. And the reason I know this is that for those people that have had the spirit of God within them, those people that become believers in Jesus Christ, they know that that new heart that the Holy Spirit gives, that our Father gives us because he gives the best gifts, beats everything else in terms of health and mental health, physical needs, all of these things, finances, none of those things can beat the gift of the Holy Spirit. Finally, in conclusion, it says, Our Father who is in heaven. Heaven is the place where God, our Father, reigns. He reigns in heaven. He reigns in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 19 says these words. Psalm 103, verse 19 says... The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. So when it says our Father in heaven, what it's saying is our Father who's in control. He is in the heavens. It doesn't mean he's on the planet Jupiter or he's up there in the sky somewhere. It means he is over and above everything. That's why the expression the heavens. It means he is not here to be seen amongst us even though he reigns on earth. But he is over and above us. It's a way of saying that his reign is over all things. He has a throne in the heavens, above all things. And when someone is above, they have power over what's below. So it's to remind us that God is in control. And that's a wonderful thing. If you're going to talk to a God who's out of control, that's a disaster. Who likes the idea of talking to someone who's out of control? Do you remember a classroom at school where the teacher was out of control? You want to give up, don't you? There's no point. I've taught people and they've said, my last class, there was so much noise, I didn't learn anything. The teacher had no control. Do you put your hand up and ask a question? There's no point, is there? They've lost control. Do you talk to a God who's got no control? I don't know, what's the point? Can you imagine that? Lord God, help me with my day. Actually, I'm really sorry, mate. I can't help you with your day. I've had had a complete nightmare with the universe. 
today. I've lost control over everything. Jupiter is spinning off in a crazy direction. I'm kind of a bit worried about what's happening with the moon. Oh man, it's a complete mess. And I've got earthquake. Oh, I just don't know what's going on. I've got no control over anything. No, God has control. We might not understand what he's doing because our brains are tiny and his is huge. That would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? And he says, his ways are not like our ways. Because he's so much bigger than us, so much wiser than us, but he is in control. So let's just conclude. This is not a mantra, it's not an incantation. This is our way of understanding how the God who made us wants us to communicate with him. And what a wonderful privilege it is and exciting opportunity to speak to the one who is in control. That means that he knows what's happened in our past because he knows everything. And that means he knows our future. He knows your future. Talking to the one who knows your future. The one who shapes tomorrow. That means he has power over all things. The one who's more powerful than your boss. The one who alone understands your heart because he sees into your heart and knows you truly. To talk to him. How amazing. And he says that he wants us to talk to him, not like Lord, most high, wonderful, creator God. In a groveling way, we can speak to him while seeing him as mighty and glorious with an intimate relationship as father. Yes, he's all powerful. Yes, we should be in awe of him, but to speak to him as father. And he doesn't want us. Do you notice Jesus doesn't say, guys, when you pray, pray to Mary, pray to John the Baptist, pray to the saints, pray to dead people. No. Pray to the God who made you. That's not me trying to disrespect different churches. Jesus is pretty clear here. Pray to God. What's the point in praying to dead people when you can pray to God? So that's why in our church we pray to our Father God. And it's to remind ourselves that this Father wants this intimate relationship with us. He loves us so much that he will give us the best that we need. And that has got to shape every prayer we pray. The confidence, God, I don't understand, but when I'm talking to you, you do love me and you want the best for me. That's the most important thing, isn't it? When talking to any kind of parent, you've got to believe that they care, they want the best for us. And this God is in control because he sits on the throne. Over the next few weeks, come along next week, we'll be looking at... The second part of this, holy is your name. We'll be looking at the holiness of God and God's name or reputation as we go through week, week, week by week looking at the Lord's Prayer. But let's pray now as we conclude. Lord Almighty, we thank you that you teach us how to pray. You teach us how to speak to you in a way that pleases you. And it all starts with knowing that you are our Father and that we can have this relationship with you if, as your word says, we accept your Son and we become one of his disciples. Lord, we thank you that the door is open to anybody in this world to come and be your child if they will accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that all the privileges that come with that mean that you will bring them up and guide them and you will call them to yourself with eternity in heaven and we will have all the privileges and blessings that an inheritance um, 
of the of firstborn son has. We thank you for these wonderful blessings and that you remind us that you are a good father, not a cold, unkind father, but a loving and generous and patient and wise father. And that you have the power not just to care about us, but to do things in our lives because you reign in heaven on your throne. Lord, help us to pray in a way that pleases you in your name. Amen.